the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. Sometimes I'm really just glad that to make it back. <laughs> Uh, it's been one of those weeks, yeah, at least so far, but, uh, it's okay. You know, well, I, I like a challenge every now and then be a little nice. I mean, be nice if I didn't have to have, face multiple challenges each and every day, but that's not my, that's not my life. So I know what you guys are feeling like out there. And by the way, I've got a, um, um, newsletter that I send out to people. If you go to my website and I select the articles that, that are going to be sent out and then I edit the text and I send it out every other week or I try to anyway. And uh, oftentimes it might be two weeks in a row and then one or two weeks off, but the, uh, it really depends on my schedule. But I, I really like this service that I have. They let me choose which articles and, and they've got licenses for all kinds of um Big publications, the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Forbes, Kiplinger, you name it. There are hundreds of sources, so it's a, uh, it's pretty fun. And this year, I mean this year, this, this week, we're sending out one where the lead article is, This Year, Try Spring Cleaning Your Brain. And I thought, yeah, you know what? That, I can relate to that. <laughs> There's so many things. Everybody's lives are so busy now. And, you know, a lot of people are uh, really frustrated and particularly with technology that's not working that well. Um, I really think, you know, my conspiracy theory there is that the United States is fighting off Russian hackers uh, because most of the services that I'm using are taking three to four times longer than they normally take. We have to log back in and log back out. We have to we clear our caches. There, there's all kinds of stuff that we're doing that we didn't have to do before. And, you know, just, 
it's gotten a lot worse in the last three months. I thought it was going to start. It actually did start to get better there for a while because when the pandemic first hit, most people were working with smaller staffs than normal. And so that was challenging. And as soon as they started getting that underway uh, and fixing a lot of those things and coming up, and that's, by the way, that's the, uh, um, I guess, the light at the end of the tunnel. And no, it's not a train. Uh, there is actually light at the end of this tunnel. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be able to overcome these things. It's, it's, it's getting better. I mean, I hate to say it, but when, when you get into trouble and you have to struggle to get out, that's when the growth is the fastest. It is such an unfortunate thing for most of us that, that don't like to be, super, you know, have challenges thrown out at you every day. But that's you get better. You, you well, one or two things. You get better or you go away. The uh, and the vast majority of people that hang in there, they, you know, it gets better. It's one of the things I like about being in America. Everybody has a chance. You got a chance. You may not be. I mean, you may start off, you know, behind a lot of other people, but you still have a chance here, and you've got the freedom to to make those choices, and it's amazing, and it works very well. Anyway, that, the first article I thought was uh, pretty cool was uh, basically some advice on how to clean out your mind. And what does this have to do with investing? Well, I'll tell you, investing is 95% psychological. Once you know the math, once you know the basics, and we're going to come back to those basics. I haven't taught those classes in a really long time period so when uh, things open up a little bit more, I think we're, we're trying to plan for maybe uh, right around June, we can have a seminar and we'll go back to those basics. And every 95% of what you're going to do in the stock markets or just financial markets in general comes down to some really basic fundamental rules. And if you have those down, you can succeed. If you don't have them down, you're not going to succeed. If, if you don't know what they are, you're definitely not going to succeed, uh, except by luck. That, that's really dangerous. You get lucky, and you thought something was going to happen, and it happens to turn out the way you, you thought it would. You all, all of a sudden, you don't know if it was just luck or if your logic was correct, and you won't find that out until you keep doing it and end up, uh, at some point in time, losing some money. So really tough. The market's a great teacher and experience is a really good teacher, but I'd much rather learn from someone else's experiences than having to do it all on my own because my life expectancy is not that long. <laughs> In fact, nobody's is. So I'm looking around at all the things that are going on right now and, you know, Russia, that's a scary thing that's going on, but the uh, market seems to be pretty much ignoring that. And uh, oftentimes if you want to see where the market's headed, take a look at what it's doing right now, uh, it is going to change and you will not be able to, to forecast or predict that change. And I know people don't want to hear that. And that's actually one of the reasons I want to get that out is because if, if you're of that mindset, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to save you some frustration. The only thing you can really know about a company or the stock market is what is going on right now and what it's done in the past. What it's going to do in the future, if anybody really knew that, they would, you know, it's pretty easy. I can show you how to become a billionaire pretty quickly. 
No, you're just going to buy some out-of-the-money options on the stocks that you know for sure are going to go to a certain level, and we'll both get rich. Okay. The the problem with that is, you know, it's like playing the lottery, you know, and not, you know, really? That's your retirement plan? You want to play the lottery? <laughs> most people don't understand that the ones I shouldn't say most people, the people that are doing this don't understand why it's not doable. You know, and, and there are tons of reasons for that. When you look out at the news or if you get up on Facebook, you see these ads and these guys are talking about the one stock portfolio or, or this strategy that wins 97% of the time. It, that's all BS. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. That's what I'm going to say. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. I think back to Peter Lynch. You know, most people don't know who he is today. Yeah, Peter Lynch had a mutual fund. He was a mutual fund manager, worked for Fidelity. Best track record of any mutual fund manager before or since. He put 10,000 bucks in his fund. 13 years later, it was over 300 grand. And, and I know that pales in comparison to those guys on uh, what are the, the uh, Facebook that'll tell you, yeah, you're going to do that on one stock in three years. Yeah, right. That's why you guys are still selling stuff online, right? <laughs> and it, that doesn't work, you know, but, but anyway. So since nobody else has matched that, and, and get his books, you know, if, if you have some spare time, they're not technical. The books aren't technical, and it gives you an idea, a really good idea of how stocks actually work. Now, the other books that I would recommend for you, that these are super short reads, are, uh, um, what is it? Uh, oh, I forgot. <laughs> no, The Little Book That Beats the Market. That's it. That's it, actually. The Little Book That Beats the Market. It is a little book. And it also lays out uh, the basics, and which are, you know, 95%. 95%. Why am I spending so much time on this? Because I'm getting a lot of calls. I'm getting calls from people who want me to tell them what the future is going to be with a high degree of accuracy. And they're, uh, they're saying, yeah, but you're a professional. Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, that's why I'm telling you that what you're trying to do is not possible. What you really need to do is come up with a plan to manage the risk and uh, you've got adjustments that you're going to be making and it's not, you're going to be not going to be making adjustments by watching the stock market and responding to it. That's not going to happen. And if you try it, I believe me, I've met thousands of people over the years that try that. I don't know any of them that have succeeded. You know, that, that's amazing. I know some people who have high frequency trading firms who have programmers who, you know, have, PhDs in computer science who can front run. That's a, uh, used to be an illegal activity. For some reason, they're letting them do it now. Um, they're not calling it that, by the way. That's probably one of the reasons they're getting away with it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you've got a couple billion dollars to invest and you know, you can do that too. Uh, you get a fraction of a penny per share as a profit. You do that you know, a couple of million times a day. That tends to add up. Uh, that's basically what's going on there. And so what's really happened is the, the older stock markets have evolved so that the market makers are still making some money, not nearly as much as they used to. And these high frequency trading firms are making up, are making a lot of the money that used to be made by market makers. Uh, and they're going, and was, I'm getting really off the track here. I feel bad. The uh, I have a tendency to do that because uh, this is all I do. <laughs> 
<laughs> I watch it. I uh, read a lot, and it it's fascinating. I think if you're looking out ten years from now, I think we're look, we're going to be in a really good shape ten years from now. If you're looking out at anything less than that, your guess is as good as mine. The uh, I think four or five years could be you know pretty good. Yeah, but I think 10 years from now, the stuff that I see that's coming out and the stuff that they're working on is, is getting ready to be introduced into the uh, population. It's pretty, it's meaningful. I mean, it's going to create an enormous number of jobs. That's going to be a real problem for us is finding the people that can fill the, the jobs that are being created because a lot of them require a fairly significant amount of education. It's not college either. And I, you know, talk about a brain drain. There's going to be, there already is huge competition. I, I I was reading something. I don't know if it's true or not. In fact, I don't know if anything is true or not. The way that uh, the amount of stuff that comes out that's contradictory to one another. But anyway, uh, when you Google the brain drain in uh, China, go read some of those articles. We're uh, trying to lure away some of the Chinese scientists, same way that we did Germany after World War II. But in the future, it's going to be a, uh, uh, there'll be heavy competition. There's already heavy competition for people in science that in the plant down uh, near Columbus at Intel's building. That's going to be major. They're building it down there, by the way, for a couple of reasons. Ohio is a lot less expensive than a lot of other metropolitan areas, uh, especially when you're going to be about 20 miles away from Ohio State and all the other smaller colleges around there that are high quality. And they're going to need the people to come to, to work there. That, what, what a great place. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, go online and Google it. That is, a, that is going to be a major win for Ohio. And because essentially we're less expensive than a lot of other states are. And we've got some really high quality educational facilities in the vicinity of the area that they're building that um, factory. And I'm sure that was one of the main reasons that they're building it there. So that's a, a wonderful thing. And uh, it's just going to help this state. It's going to help the entire world because semiconductors have, uh, you know, when this Russian invasion thing started coming up and then China's warming up to them at first, everybody here is looking at it and going, hey, wait a minute. The, uh, a lot of our uh, semiconductors are not made in the United States. That could be disrupted pretty easily. Um, we may want to rethink this for a minute. And I'm sure they were thinking about it, you know, several years ago, but now it's coming to fruition. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. The, uh, I see so many opportunities for the economies in general. Now, if the politicians will just get out of the way, <laughs> stay out. They won't, by the way. <laughs> that's uh, one of the things that slows us down a little bit. But um, you know, it's all good. There, there's more opportunity. There are more problems to be solved that we have solutions for. They just have to be implemented. And we can possibly get to in the next 10 to 15 years. So um, that part, I, you know, I feel really good about that. I feel bad about people who are buying bonds right now. We're going to talk about that when we come back from the, uh, com from the from our commercials. But uh, I hear the music. That means I got to take a break here. This is Bill Bullington, 1420. I'll be right back. Can anybody feel this heartache? Is anyone around? Feels like we're running round in circles. We can't catch a breath. We can't enjoy the moment when we always want what's next. Yeah, just when I can't take no more. It's when I hear you say, Don't hang your head when you get lonely. No, I'll never leave you. 
other day I was thinking to myself, made a list of all my mistakes. Oh, I wish I could have run to you and tell you all about my heartbreak. And I wondered to myself, wait a minute, am I even on the right path now? Had a couple wins, but I got knocked down. But I know that you are here right now, and you say, Sometimes you lose, sometimes you win. And I'm back. Boy, is that song appropriate? <laughs> I'll tell you. You know, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing how much the stock market actually mirrors real life. You got to get in. It's tumultuous. I mean, think about it. They're, over the long run, it's pretty good. Over the long run, life's pretty good. In the short run, anything can happen and probably will. So you got to be prepared. And that's, you know, with investing, you, you need to really be prepared. I'm looking at fixed income and anything that has a maturity longer than a, a couple of years has been dropping like a rock. That is a, uh, that's very discouraging. Uh, so I've been cutting back and getting much more short term in the bond funds that we're holding. I think the, uh, the bond market index over the past, oh, looks like almost nine months is down about 8%. But you would have gotten a uh, a dividend of about two and a half percent, so you're really realistically you're you're down about six. But who wants to be down? I mean, on a bond fund, and that is the uh, that's crazy. So you need to hold stuff that's average maturity is less than two years. And if you don't know what that is, call me. You know, I can show you how to find that. And as far as uh, risk in stocks goes. There's a lot of risk there. Their valuations are higher than they should be, um, but you've also got a lot of growth. And those the stocks that are pushing the valuations up okay, are the biggest stocks in the indexes, and they get the most money, and they're relatively few. So if you look across the board, if you look past that, most stocks are selling at a reasonable valuation. A lot of banking stocks, a lot of energy stocks selling at reasonable valuations. And that's a good sign. That tells me that there's still some opportunity there. Uh, there may be a lot of shifting. A lot of your large market cap weighted stocks, probably not so much. Um, I would be, you know, in the portfolios that, that we have, the, the standard models, we've got a lot of larger companies that pay dividends, a little bit overweighted right now. High quality dividends, that's a little bit overweighted right now. Dividend yields, actually pretty good. That's a, uh, so I feel good about that. That That's not a problem. I, I also like the more actively, um, not they're not actively managed. The algorithms that the exchange-traded funds are using that to manage the money, they change a lot. Why? Because prices change a lot. When prices change, valuations change. Now, if you had a house that was selling for 500000 bucks and now it's selling for $750,000, are you upset? That, you know, but if you had a, House that was selling for seven hundred fifty thousand goes down to five hundred. That's you know five hundred is still a lot of money. It's pretty good, right? And unless you paid seven fifty for it. So uh, if it were overvalued at seven fifty and then it comes down to five, well maybe you, you might have uh, expected that because somebody would have told you, hey, you know that houses that like yours in this neighborhood they generally sell for about five hundred thousand. But you said, no, nah, I just got to have it. And if you live long enough, you'll get your money back. Eventually, inflation will push that price higher, but uh, and that's kind of where stocks are right now. They're right around you know 
They should be five hundred thousand. They're selling for seven fifty. Is that the end of the world? No. In fact, the the one of the bigger differences between a house and and a stock are these companies can raise their sales and profits and become worth the seven fifty. See see what I'm saying? They actually have the ability to grow their sales, grow, and if they maintain their profit margins, their profits are going to go up. That makes the companies more valuable. That's actually why stocks do better than other asset classes over time, or why they have done better, I should say, is because they can they have control. You know, Procter and Gamble doesn't take a cost increase on the chin. And I'll say, oh well, that's okay. We'll just take money out of our treasury and and pay because you know the prices on our, our, our raw materials have gone up, and we can't pass that on to. Uh, consumers, no, that's that's actually not how that works. They say we have to maintain a profit margin. If we don't maintain a profit margin, we'll eventually go out of business. So when their costs go up, they have to raise prices. And um, when they raise prices and they sell more, profits go up. You know, it doesn't happen in unison. It's not slow. Uh, in fact, the stock prices have very low correlation to what's actually going on. With the business, and this this is what kills everybody. They they read an article and they think that they know what's going to happen. They read an article in the uh, newspaper, or they've been talking to people, or they just get an idea. And instead of going into the company and looking at it, uh, and just saying, "Hey, look, the uh, what's normal, uh, what's been normal," and you can come up with a range of normal. You know, as soon as we get to uh, being able to meet again, and I'll, I'll show you the tool that I use for that. It's super, super simple. It's actually simpler than the one that I wrote in the book, Look Out for the Bull, which was only 3,600 words, by the way. <laughs> only 3,600 words in that book. And um, But you would have had to do a little bit more work. And I, I, I get the feeling that people really don't want to do a ton of research. I know they don't. So if I ask you, you, when you call in and you ask me about a stock, if you're a client and you've been with me for a while, I'm going to ask you what the price to sales ratio is. Uh, how much business have they done? What are their profit margins? Those are the three most important questions. And actually not in that order. Probably, uh, I probably just did that backwards. But those are the three most important questions. And I'll tell you why um, in the future at seminars. <laughs> Just know right now, you need to know what sales were. You need to know what the price of sales ratio of the company is. You need to know what profit margins are. Those three things, if you know that, you'll get the math down fairly quickly and you'll be able to evaluate a company. It's going to take you about 10 seconds and it's going to annoy everybody that's read pages and pages and memorized the financial statements and the, the management's discussion and has all this. They, they've brainwashed themselves into thinking that the company's worth more than it probably is selling for. And uh, that, that's where you run into problems. That, that's where you really run into problems. And you, you kind of have to know this stuff if you want to be a, a good investor. Uh, even if you want to be, if you wanna be a, a good client or you want to shop for a financial advisor. If your financial advisor doesn't know how to explain what a stock should normally sell for, then uh, I'd probably find another one because they're, you know, just because you've been able to pass the test and memorize all that stuff doesn't mean you really understand it. And uh, it's pretty tough. And, and there are a lot of good ones out there, by the way. There, there are. I've, I've met them. And uh, sometimes we hang out. And so that's pretty cool. But there aren't enough of us <laughs> that understand that. There's not enough to go around. And what we tell people, a lot of when somebody gets unhappy with their financial advisor, I can tell you nine out of 10 times it's because 
the client doesn't understand what they're looking at and the market's not working the way that they want it to. They just want to go up. They want to believe that you can jump in and jump out of the market and be safe. They want to believe you can win on 80% of your transactions. I got news for you. That Peter Lynch, the greatest that greatest that ever lived. Okay. He he's still alive, by the way. But um greatest that ever lived only made money on 40% of his transactions. Now that came from Fidelity. The uh I'm, I'm sorry, no, it was 50%. It was a 40% of the people that actually, while he was managing the money, managed to hang on to the fund the entire time and reap the rewards. Sixty percent of the investors end up selling and losing money. Think about that for a second. I know exactly why, by the way, because Al Gore hadn't invented the Internet yet and nobody could watch their portfolios 24 seven. By the way, if they could, they would have probably done worse. And the reason that they didn't do well was because that those high returns came at a cost of high volatility. You cannot get rid of the volatility. I don't care who you're talking to, what you're talking about. You cannot get rid of the volatility. And the more you do to avoid volatility, the lower your returns are going to be. It's a trade-off. You got to figure out what's right for you. What is right for you? And I've been talking about this since I began and I've, it's unbelievable the exhaustion I go through trying to get somebody to give you a, uh, uh, an answer that's understandable. Nobody wants to do that, by the way. And it's a lot more profitable for um, lawyers and big financial firms to uh, fight over that kind of stuff. But I've got a super simple method for trying to identify not only good stocks, but the amount of risk. What kind of risk taker are you? And here's what you do. Write your savings down on a, on a piece of paper somewhere. Get yourself a calculator. Okay. Start subtracting percentages from that number. So let's say if you've got a million dollars, I know most people don't have a million dollars, but let's just pretend you do because I got to keep the math easy. I don't have a calculator in front of me. <laughs> so if you had a million dollars and you were down 10%, how much are you down? Okay. Just multiply that million dollars by 0.10. And it's $100,000. So you'd be down to $900,000. Are you upset by that? Uh, if not, okay, multiply it by or subtract 20% from the million dollars. That's $200,000. you are at 800000 now. Are you upset by that? Keep going until you get to the point where you go, yeah, I'd really, I'd have trouble sleeping. Now, before you do this little exercise, I'm going to tell you to... Um, Think about it really, really hard. Be honest with yourself. You got to be honest with yourself. Stock market, the S&P 500 or Russell 3000, it's been down more than 50%, I think three or four times in my lifetime. That's a lot because I'm not really that old. So at the, on average, it's like a little bit less than 20 years. So if you have a life expectancy of, of around 20 years, there's a pretty good chance you'll go through another one of those. And I know you think that something is magically going to uh, warn your professional investment advisor, and they, some of them even believe. And by the way, there used to be methods that had that were a lot more effective than they are today. Uh, you could dial back the risk when certain things happened, and then they they stopped working. They stopped working as we started getting more and more automated. When there are 
the most popular funds now are actually run by computers. They're not run by people. The people wrote the math to tell them what they were looking for. I'm looking for a company of this size. I'm looking for the company that's got this much in sales. I'm looking for the company that's got this much in profit margin or pays a dividend that's gone up over the last five years in a row. All those types of things. So instead of having humans going through and manually picking out those stocks, the computers can do it lickety-split. And by the way, it's a lot more tax efficient. And since you can't see all the stocks that are inside of the ETF, I can, but... Uh, you can't see them, you don't get upset when you see the stocks that are crashing. You, know, you, you see what's happening across a broad swath of stocks, and that's generally one of the, a lot of them mute the volatility of the others. So when some are going up, some are going down. When some are going down, some are going up. And it, hap- it tends to be less volatile than putting your money into an individual stock, a lot less volatile. Okay, so I know this is probably boring people to tears, but uh, you guys just hang on because I'm running a scan as we speak, and I will go over that at the last 15 minutes. But I've got a couple of of options for you on fixed income that uh, uh, we'll talk about right after we come back from a commercial break. And again, if you have a question or you wanted to uh, contact me, my website is bullingtoncapital.com. There's a contact us page there. Please, if you wouldn't mind, fill in the question that you have. Uh, oftentimes, I, I get bombarded, and nobody's asking a question. They just reach out and say, yeah, I, I, I have a question, but then they don't tell me what it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I do have a crystal ball in my office. I promise you it doesn't work. The, uh, it's just there for a joke, and uh, I do uh, keep it kind of out of the way now because uh, actually I've been doing that for, I don't know, 15 years because it was making people nervous. <laughs> And uh, my sense of humor kind of uh, out there, I guess. I would, when I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I would put the crystal ball right in the middle of my desk. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the looks actually from the males were, they, they kind of got it. And a lot of females were looking at their husband with wide open eyes like, oh. <laughs> anyway, I got to take a real quick commercial break. This is Bill Bowling right here on 1420. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. This is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, bullingtoncapital.com. Feel free to do that. Or you can call 330 664 
and I just wanted to turn and talk a little bit. We were talking about uh, the economy in general. Um, before I leave that, this week's newsletter, there was a really nice article, one of the articles that I, I picked to publish uh, was originally in the, uh, I think it was the uh, London Times, or um, no, that's not the one. I, I can't actually remember now. Anyway, it was about uh, you know, mentally. Actually, let me just read the, the headlines. This year, try spring cleaning your brain. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. And they mentioned a lot of mindfulness activities. That's a uh, kind of a meditation. And uh, some other things that you can do, journaling. And like I was saying earlier, the, the reason that Peter Lynch was so much better than most portfolio managers is, is when you read about the guy, when you, if you've ever listened to anything he said on, on uh, YouTube, he had no fear. You know, he really, it, it wasn't like, and by the way, the guy, you know, he looked like Andy Warhol. The, uh, he had shockingly white hair, the, the glasses, the whole nine yards is pretty interesting, but a meek guy. But talk about not judging a book by its cover. That it, it had the heart of a lion. And he knew what he knew. Uh, and he went out and dealt with it. And dealt with it in a really good way. Put up unbelievable numbers. And I'm telling you, it's all psychology. Can you understand? I, he did have a big advantage because, you know, he's got fidelity standing behind him. And he's got other people to bounce ideas off of who are hardened, seasoned veterans and uh, it's one of the reasons one of the reasons by the way no one will ever probably match that track record is that he was the first fund that ever reached a billion dollars in assets and now there are thousands of them in fact there were 11 or 12,000 stocks for most of the years that were listed on one of the major exchanges in the United States most of the years that he managed the Magellan fund today they're around 32 3300 something like that that uh, um, have at least a billion dollars. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, that are big enough for a fund to invest in. So the pool of stocks has shrunk. It's about a third. It's about a third of what it was, a little less than a third of what it was when he was managing money. And, and there was no internet. So um, you had that advantage. You, you don't have as big of an advantage today as an individual investor as you used to have. You still have one but you got to be willing to put up with a lot of volatility. That, that's a dream. It's a pipe dream when somebody comes out and says, look, you can get really, you can get returns that are better than, I'm going to tell you better than 7% a year. You're going to take an, an extremely large amount of fluctuation to be able to, to achieve those returns. You're going to have to take it. It's not going to exist any other way. And I know that's probably not what you wanted to hear, <laughs> but uh, you know, I have an obligation to tell you how it is, not what you want to hear. And, you know, it's just how I roll anyway. I, I think you'll find out when you go see these funds. Look at the ARC fund. Uh, take a look at that over the next few days. Now that, you know, very smart people running that fund. Uh, it's had really good performance, but look at the volatility on that. That performance comes at a cost. The cost is fluctuation. And if you don't want to put up with fluctuation, well, that's why I started talking about fixed index annuities a few months ago. I was not a big fan of them up until the last couple of years when interest rates got so low and there's so many people in the United States, you know, the fastest growing segment of the population is 60 and over. That's growing faster than anything else. The, you read the headlines, the birth rates are dropping. That stuff's true. 
So you've got to, uh, um, I just lost my train of thought there. Sorry about that. <laughs> you have to go in plan for living fairly long and an average life expectancy of a 65 year old is 20 years. That's 85. If you're 60, that's a, uh, that's 25 years from now. If you don't want to run out of money, you got to be careful because all that fluctuation creates risk for people who are taking money out of their portfolios. That's why I started looking at the fixed indexed annuities because the guaranteed rates of withdrawal on a lot of those products, what does that mean? They will guarantee a certain amount of money for you. It's very competitive with existing interest rates the way that they are. Even though interest rates have started to creep up a little bit, they're still significantly higher than interest rates. You would have to invest in stocks and you would have to do better than the average investor does to be able to match the returns that those guys are guaranteeing. That's kind of a big deal. Now, it's not the same as a stock fund. It's not the same as a CD. Typically, you're buying, you're, you're getting a contract that's going to guarantee a certain amount of income for you. If, if that's not the reason that you're buying it, well, there are a couple of others, but they're not as strong. That's the number one reason to buy it is so that you can take some portion of your money and say, okay, this I'm going to invest this way. And I'm going to get this much income off of this for as long as I live. Even if that fund runs out of money, the insurance company has to step up and continue to pay for as long as you live. So that's the number one reason to look at something like that. The number two reason is that they will actually guarantee principal that you can't get back less than you've invested. You can add some other riders there that might guarantee that the principal would increase by a certain amount. So if you wanted to leave that to someone else down the line, you can um, add some riders to it. Riders are basically insurance policies that you tack onto an annuity. Uh, so I know that I probably uh, got everybody completely confused at this point. That's okay. Just give me a call. I can explain it to you. So if you're looking for to leave a legacy and you don't like paying taxes, getting dividends, capital gains on your statements, that's upset a lot of people this year that have had a lot of capital gains or dividends, a ton of people, and they have to pay tax on it. And they say, but I never saw the money. Well, um, if you're watching your statement, the money actually was distributed from your fund and was reinvested in the fund. So if you were watching this statement, you would have known that. And uh, it's, it's pretty wild. So anyway, yeah, it, it is. By the way, the, uh, the Magellan Fund, 1987, if, if you know, the market dropped in one day, a little over 20%, and most stocks were down that much or more, um, if you had invested at the wrong time in a fund, you ended up getting capital gains and dividends that you never, your account value was actually worth less than what you paid for it. And then you got to pay taxes on somebody else's gain. <laughs> Lovely. Talk, talk about rough. Holy cow. That's one of the disadvantages a traditional mutual fund has over an exchange traded fund. And one of the reasons that I like to use exchange traded fund in the vast majority of cases, they don't pay out the capital gains each year. So that just stays and it stays tax deferred until you decide to sell the fund. Uh, and if you've held the fund for more than 12 months, you qualify for the lower long-term capital gains rates. So there, that's a huge, that's huge. I mean, that is absolutely huge. It won't eliminate your taxes, but it can reduce them. That's, that's a big deal. I don't know how many people, well, most people are so busy in their normal lives. I, I understand, you know, it's, 
to keep up with all this stuff. I struggle and I'm in the industry. I'm looking at this stuff every day. I just can't imagine how somebody would have to keep could keep up with this on their own. And uh, it's just really, really tough. So again, if you're looking at returns, uh, it depends on your age, by the way, the way that uh, fixed index annuities work. If you're in your oh mid 60s, the guaranteed income return is going to be somewhere north of 5%. You know, you look at uh, CD rates, which have been creeping up, they're still right around, but they're right around 2%. A uh, 5% with a guarantee on the principal. That's that's a good deal uh, in today's environment. Now that may change. You know, like I said, for years I w- I just wouldn't look at these things up up until interest rates got so low, and uh, you know that's that to try to get get buy off of two percent. You know, it's pretty tough. Two percent is taxable, by the way, if it's not in an IRA. If you had a million dollars, two percent is only twenty thousand dollars a year, and you're gonna have to pay taxes on that. So that's that's kind of rough um, if these things have a, a guaranteed rates of increase in the income benefit. They, and uh, some of them have, depends on the riders that you put on it, you can guarantee a certain level of assets to go to your beneficiaries if you set it up correctly. And uh, if that's one of your main purposes. Um, so that gets really complicated. And this is something that's one of the reasons I have a job. And see uh, what's right for you. And and those are not easy decisions, by the way. Because you can't do exactly what you want to do. Everybody wants the 10% tax-free complete liquidity. You know, and the guarantee on the principal while I'm holding it and the guarantee on the the future. Yeah, if I could find that, if that actually existed someplace. (laughs) So you kind of have to work within the framework that you have and... Uh, you can reach a lot of your goals. You may not be able to get everything that you want, but you know that's life. And uh, I don't know what to what to say about that. It's just you you have to decide what is most important to you. And for the vast majority of people, I mean, I would be I would take care of yourself first. You know, I would literally I would I would make sure that you're you're going to be okay as far as income goes for your lifetime. In uh, uh, secondary, okay. Now, what do I want my kids to get? The vast majority of people really need to think like that. Um, when they start thinking of, along the lines of, well, I want to take care of my kids first, but I need to take out you know, $40,000 a year for my portfolio to, to maintain my lifestyle, but I don't want to, but, but I need returns big enough to pay that and be able to leave more money to my kids. Well, that may not be possible depending on how much money you have. Okay, This might not be possible, so... One of the other reasons I have a job, I can tell you what is likely, uh, what is achievable and what's not, and or what would be highly unlikely, I should say. doesn't even take that long anymore. There's a uh, firm called BlackRock. They have a tool that they make available to people like myself, and we can just put the incomes that you have in there, the assets that you have in there, the type of portfolio that you have in there, and it'll give you a range of incomes that you could expect to receive. Uh, and not run out of money. At least there's the, uh, you know, nine out of 10 chance that you won't run out of money. You're never allowed to guarantee anything in my industry, which uh, amazes me. Uh, insurance companies can guarantee an income, but I can't. The, uh, um, the income guarantees are only as good as the insurance company that's selling them. So you got to be careful there too. You want to make sure you get solid 
large companies with large pools of assets that they can rely on if uh, things ever get really bad. But uh, so if you're interested in that, and again, I think if you're in your mid-60s, maybe next week I'll come out with some specific um, instructions. But it's right in the uh, fives area, like the income rate or the rate of income that they would pay would be right in the mid-fives. And uh, okay, so I think I got about two minutes going here. Um, you know, I didn't even talk about stocks today at all. Sorry about that. I really pre I, uh, um, I apologize. <laughs> there are a ton of them that are coming up lately. Mainly, the I'm surprised any are coming up. I, mean, I don't know. You know, being at war is kind of spooky. Uh, being close to being at war, that, that's kind of spooky. We're not actually in war right now. But that's yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's always going on in the stock market. When I'm uh, looking at what's gone on in the past, I look at uh, uh, that for clues as to how this may turn out. Uh, you know, back in the early 60s, Russia parked a whole bunch of nuclear missiles down in uh, Puerto Rico. And, you know, it was almost, I mean, they were right there. And uh, Kennedy came and said, hey, get them out of there or I'm blowing you off the island. You're not going to exist. And uh, they got them right back out again. <laughs> but that was a close call. Incidentally, that did send the Dow. People didn't watch the S&P 500 back then, but they, uh, that did send the Dow down about 25% that year. So it's about 25%, which when you think about it, it was really not that much given the fact that they had nuclear missiles <laughs> in Puerto Rico. <laughs> That's not that far away. So, uh, yeah, when, when people say it's different this time, yeah, it's different this time. Now it's all the way over in Europe. It's not in our backyard. But uh, it's a little scarier because the, the missiles they have today can reach from all the way over there. So when I just... Uh, Try not to focus on that too much. The, uh, it's, you know, you can't try not to focus on things that you can't control. You know, that that's probably the biggest mistake I see people make. And if you look at the, all those Dalbar studies where they're talking about individual investors and the average investor, that they're the biggest mistake that the people that are making that are not keeping up with the averages is they're trying to control everything. There are a lot of things that you just can't control. Now, I think you have an obligation to yourself, to your family, to try to control those things and learn about those things that you can control. How much risk are you taking? How do you know how much risk you're taking? I got some software. I can load up your portfolios and show you how much risk you're taking. Not a problem. But uh, if you don't know how much risk you're taking, you should probably find that out. <laughs> are you comfortable with the amount of risk you're taking? That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And uh, so... It's hard to, actually, it's not that hard to do. Take the amount of stocks that you have in your portfolio. Uh, if they're in funds, you know, the individual stocks, that makes it a lot riskier because individual stocks are more risky. But um, we've got some software. We, we can actually run those simulations, tell you how much risk you're taking. And you have to see, are you comfortable taking that kind of risk? That the kind of risk you really want to take? And, um, you know, sometimes it's, yeah, sometimes people are surprised. They, they can actually handle a lot more risk than they've got in their portfolio. And other people have more risk than they can handle. And uh, now they hear music. I guess this show is over. You've been listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420. Go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com, if you'd like to reach out to me. Have a good weekend, everybody. Good luck. Good investing.
You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.